It's time for Valley Edition, a weekly panel discussion on current issues in the Matsu Valley, moderated by Mike Malewski. Mike Malewski here at Big Cabbage Radio in Palmer, Alaska. Who's on the line? This is Michael Burke with MTA. How are you? I am doing fine, Mr. Burke. Thank you very much for calling in today. I've been looking forward to this for a long, long time. We have regularly in the past interviewed people from uh, MEA and MTA and uh, other prominent providers of services here in the Valley. And I wanted to catch up because the last time I believe we spoke, we were talking about the big pipeline that would provide service for customers here. And I'm wondering if you wanted to sort of give an update on that, and then we can go into a few other things. Yeah, sure. That'd be great. You know, I made that announcement back in 2019 that we were going to be constructing what we called the Alcan 1 project, which was Alaska's first all-terrestrial fiber connection out of the state, you know, down to the continental United States, which, you know, would give, you know, another route now to connecting to the major internet peering points, you know, and also enable you know, a lot more new capacity, which is necessary, you know, to continue to be provide broadband and continue to feed the broadband demand for the future. And so we successfully completed building that project and, and lighting it up, actually right about the time that the pandemic was hitting, which was very fortunate because, right. you know, at that time, obviously, broadband usage was spiking and, you know, there was a lot more need for that connectivity. So turning that up that time was was most fortunate. I mean, obviously, we didn't know that the pandemic was coming, but having that network then lit up and ready to go certainly helped in terms of being able to meet some of the needs that the community had going forward. You know, one of the things that I, I believe listeners might benefit from is understanding I, it, it's one of those connected dots kind of thing that sort of makes sense that there's going to be a large capacity between Alaska and going to the rest of the world. But then there's the question of, okay, I'm sitting in my home, I'm in school, I'm somewhere else at a coffee shop with my smartphone. How does that all play out to make this this experience that a person has connecting to the internet? How does that how does it all connect? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I mean, I think what a lot of people don't realize is that the Internet really isn't local. I mean, it appears local when you get on your computer or your smartphone or whatever that, you know, you're connecting, you know, to something that maybe is local. But in reality, you know, the Internet begins at what they call the Internet peering points, which the closest one to Alaska is actually Seattle. And so, yeah, any, any provider in the state, MTA or ACS, GCI, um, they all have to be able to get down to that hearing point, that's where all of the other carriers essentially come together and that combined network forms what's called the World Wide Web. And that's what everybody wants to get to. In many ways, you know, that's kind of where MTA is unique with regards to the services we provide. You know, most other utilities, you're focused on taking a service, you know, like whether it's water, sewer, gas, electric, and kind of delivering it into a local geographic area. We're kind of the opposite. We take a local geographic area, and then we have to connect it out to the world. And that way, people can have a long-distance phone call with somebody in South Africa while at the same time they're Googling a website in Ireland on how to homebrew Guinness. Right. Connecting out to those those other locations becomes real important, and that's where these transport networks like Alcan One become so critical, because without them, really the Internet wouldn't work. Turn on your computer, your iPad, your smartphone, and nothing would happen. You wouldn't have that connectivity to be able to do all the things that 
we all kind of take for granted when we connect out to the Internet. Now, there are a variety of ways to make the connection to the Internet. Possibility of putting a cable beneath the sea. There's a land-based cable. There's satellites, etc. MTA has chosen to do a land-based connection. Is that correct? Yeah, well, we have the LCAN-1 land-based connection, but we also still also have connectivity across those submarine cables because you want redundancy. Right. You know, if something happens and that terrestrial cable gets cut for some reason, you want to have backups so that you can go by another route. And so we've actually got connectivity both on the submarine side as well as the terrestrial side so that if something happens in either either direction, we can restore traffic and keep things working. And we actually just recently lit up another circuit across that terrestrial network. And we were going to Seattle, and we just actually turned up a circuit now all the way back to Chicago, you know, adding more geographic diversity to our network so that if, say, something happened in the Seattle area, we can go to another peering point and, and keep that traffic flowing. Very good. Thank you for that description. Now, MTA did this terrestrial connection, but do other entities utilize that service? It's not just an MTA service alone. Yeah, no, we, we lit it up, but obviously we are selling capacity across that network to other carriers. And one of the big advantages, actually, of building that network is that we ran it along the Elcan Highway. So coming from Fairbanks down, you know, to the Elcan, you know, U.S.-Canada border, you know, there's a number of little communities like Toke and Northway and so forth along there. You know, by building this network, we're now able to create, you know, really good connectivity to those communities for their own Internet needs as well. So, that was kind of a side benefit that this network then provided is that because we've got that network there, other communities, other people can actually benefit from it. And other carriers in the state obviously can also buy capacity on that network for, you know, for their own redundancy needs. Now, I have been fortunate enough to live in the Palmer area for over 40 years. And as a result, I've, I've been a member of the MTA co-op for all that time. We've gone a long way from four decades ago to the point where right now here, in fact, at our studios in beautiful downtown Palmer, we utilize MTA's fiber e-connection. That's a, a significant change. And I'm, I'm, I want to segue a bit into saying fiber is gradually being spread about to complete the last mile to whether a business or an, an individual. How is that going at the present time? So it's, it's going well. I mean, we still have a lot of work to complete there. I mean, you know, one of the challenges MTA faces, just like a lot of other utilities up here, is you've got a short construction season. You know, it starts around the middle of May and ends around the middle of October. So you try to cram as much work as you can into that five-month period of time to, to get things done. You know, our, our first goal in terms of broadband deployment was to take our existing copper network and do what we could to upgrade it, you know, to make sure we could deliver a fast enough broadband speed to as many people as possible that they needed like today. But the fiber builds, you know, that's really kind of helping to future-proof for tomorrow because once we get that fiber connection, you know, it's almost the sky's the limit in terms of what technology will allow you to do as far as upgrading broadband speeds 10, 20, 30 years into the future for whatever that requirement might look like, which, you know, at this point in time, you know, it's anybody's guess. But, you know, by having that fiber, we can do that. So our goal here is really to deploy fiber to the home you know, across our entire service market, you know, to every home and business that we can reach. And it's going to take a while. It's a big investment. It's literally hundreds of millions of dollars of investment to get there. 
but we're we're gradually working on it. Pretty much every deployment we're doing going forward here is either new fiber to new subdivisions. You know, if a new subdivision goes in, it's all fiber to the home, and if if it's not that, then we're going back in and we're overbuilding our copper plant and replacing it with fiber. So we've got activity like that going on every summer all over the marketplace. I'm sure a lot of people see those crews out there right. working in different neighborhoods and pretty much every one of those crews, that's what they're doing is putting in fiber. Well, now I'm going to ask the hard question because I understand the process a bit. And I've had some people, friends in the lower 48, for example, who have fiber, but the fiber isn't buried necessarily. As I understand it, we bury our fiber. Is that correct? Yeah, we try wherever possible to bury our fiber. We have a little bit of it up on MEA poles, but for the most part, we try to bury it. What we actually do first is we put a conduit down in the ground, which helps protect the fiber, and then we come back in later, and then we pull the fiber through that conduit. The conduit also gives us the ability to pull more fiber in in the future without having to dig the ground up. So let's say... Yeah, we put a bundle of fiber in, and then 10, 20 years from now, we find out, hey, we need more fiber along that route. We can go back in and pull additional fiber into that conduit and you know, continue to provide whatever upgrades are needed. So that's, that's kind of the big project. In fact, anybody who ever drives by the MTA cable yard over here, you can look in our cable yard, and you can see there's a huge big pile in the corner, which is all that conduit that we have stacked up for future right. construction project. I know that there have been individuals in, in downtown Palmer. Obviously, we sit here in a studio served by fiber. I believe Matsu Borough Building served by fiber. But there are places very close to that that are not served by fiber. How how soon or, or what should a person do if they're an individual and they can they can see the fiber from their back porch, but but it's not to their house. What What's their best approach here? Yeah. I mean, everybody is going to be on the schedule eventually here to get fiber put in. I mean, it's, it becomes sort of a priority first to figure out, okay, where do we have to you know, prioritize it? Obviously, there are road projects, you know, where we're having to move facilities. Right. But, okay, we have to do that because it's part of the schedule for the road project or a new subdivision that's going in, or maybe we just have some really old copper plant that's failing, so that takes a priority first over, you know, other locations. But, you know, certainly, you know, you can always inquire into the office here and say, hey, you know, this is my address. You know, can you tell me if I'm on the schedule this year for fiber or next year? Because we try to plan, you know, three to four years out in terms okay. of our projects. So they generally can kind of tell you, oh, yeah, you know, you're Based on your location, we have that kind of slated for a project maybe this summer or next summer as far as replacing the copper with fiber. Okay, Mike Malewski here at Big Cabbage Radio in Palmer, Alaska. I'm speaking with Michael Burke. We're talking about all things MTA. Now, over the years, MTA has oh, transformed itself into a, a big provider of service and has really, it, it appears to me, moved out of the retail operation. I, I no longer go to MTA and check out to see if I want to buy a, a smartphone and so on. How do you see that evolving further into the future? In terms of the retail side, obviously, we did get out of the, out of the wireless business, and that was largely because you know, there were so many other wireless players in the market marketplace, particularly very large players like right. AT&T and Verizon, and it just didn't make sense for us to try to continue to go head-to-head with them. I mean, we 
certainly from a retail standpoint, you know, continue to provide voice services. We, you know, and obviously, you know, retail broadband, you know, across the market. You know, those are the two big products we have. But we have other, you know, services, you know, that we are continually looking at in terms of the security arena and that that are that are retail. But we also have our wholesale side too, which you know, goes to other carriers. I mean, a lot of those cell phone carriers that are out there, you know, we we actually end up carrying a lot of that traffic on a wholesale basis. We provide the fiber connections to a lot of those cell towers and then route that traffic back to their hub locations in places like Anchorage. So even on the cell phone side, we're still carrying actually a lot of that traffic through our network. Ah, okay. Thank you. Thank you for explaining that. I recently took a trip, and on that trip, I have a relatively new iPhone smartphone, and mm-hmm. and I found that it was interesting, but uh, I could travel about, and using my hotspot capability with 5G, I was able to do a lot of work. Uh, the speeds of an associated computer were, were very good, which brings me to that question about the uh, arrival of 5G of a different sort to be utilized almost everywhere. What is MTA's view of, of, of 5G as a cell access point? You know, I mean, I think there are probably locations where 5G will work for people. And a lot of it, I think, kind of depends on the volume of usage that you have, you know, that you're trying to kind of run through that network. I mean, it's interesting. A lot of people, they, you know, they use their cell phones and they may be using the actual cellular spectrum, but they may be actually connected to a local like Wi-Fi hotspot point right. you know, that, that, you know, could be provided by a local business. And they're actually not even using the cell phone network and might not realize that the traffic is going by a different route. I think there's a place kind of for that. We've looked at that. We actually looked at that at the past. And, you know, to be able to really offer, I guess, the kind of speeds that fiber would provide, it would get to be a pretty dense network. You'd have cell towers, you know, within, you know, every few hundred feet of each other to be able to provide the level of capacity for that. And when you start getting that dense it just made more sense for us to deploy fiber to be able to meet that need. And so that's really kind of been our focus. You know, we're going to try to make sure all those places have that fiber connectivity, both in terms of what that future speed will be, but then also just the volume of usage. I mean, I think our average usage per per month by customers are probably around 600 megabytes of, of traffic or 600 gigabytes of traffic okay. growing. So it's all, that's a lot of traffic and I think that's going to continue to to grow, and that's always going to be a challenge when we start looking at the cellular network. Just how much capacity and bandwidth can they really pump through for you know the given number of customers that are that are out there? No, I just was thinking as you were saying that that people listening do not have a clear picture of the service area. I mean, when we're talking about connecting to the lower 48, that's a whole another thing. But what constitutes MTA's service area at the present time? It's about a 10,000-square-mile area. I mean, it's roughly the size of data Maryland that we're trying to cover. So it runs from Highland Road close to Anchorage, you know, all the way up almost to Fairbanks. And it's a big area. I mean, it takes our crews four hours to drive from one end to the other. And that's, you know, part of the challenge, too, in terms of, you know, getting that network built. You know, when you've got a 10,000-mile area you're trying to cover and you're, you know, building roughly, you know, 5,500 miles of plant across that in a five-month period every summer, it takes a little while to get that all done. 
Oh, right, right. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious now, looking to a bit to the future, how you see, say, MTA evolving over the next five years. Give a picture of if someone were thinking, okay, I've been a co-op member for a while, I've experienced this. In particular, I'm interested in in what appears to be a declining connection directly to the home for the home phone, as people seem to be going more for cell phones, even as their primary connection at home. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, you we're probably going to continue to see that happen over time. I think more so on the residential than the business. Business still uses a lot of landline-type phone services, but certainly, you know, the broadband connection you know, becomes more and more central for a lot of people. You know, it's interesting doing a lot more kind of in the in the gaming arena. You know, with esports and things of that nature. Uh, just you know, working a lot with the community as far as you know, the, the adoption of gaming and, and interesting statistics, there's actually more voice traffic now that are going across gaming consoles than there used to be on the old phone network. You know, people actually connect up, you know, their, their internet games, you know, across the internet and they'll be on them for hours and they'll just, you know, have conversations like, you know, people being in the same room through that, that gaming network that they have, have connected up. So, in many ways, gaming is becoming kind of the new medium for, for, for a lot of voice-type calling that used to happen in the past. And there's, a, there's another feature that's more business-oriented that I'm curious about in MTA's role in business services, and that's what's called voice over IP. Is MTA involved in that? Yeah, we're doing a lot more in that area. I mean, we're looking at some new products and services as well. One of the big areas that we're exploring going forward is is all the different services in the cloud. Right. Which, you know, the, the cloud takes a lot of different forms, and there's a lot of different new products and services that are being made available through the cloud. And that's even another add-on, too, with the transport network we have. So with our long-haul, you know, transport down to Seattle and places like Chicago, we have great, you know, connectivity to the major um, data point for the cloud, you know, the major hyperscale data centers that are back there where a lot of these cloud applications exist. So it's one of the things we're continuing to explore is how we can better leverage some of those cloud-type services and bring them, you know, forward into the market. Okay. Well, good. Very, very good. Michael Burke, I've asked a lot of questions. You've given me some, and the listeners, quite a few good answers, I think. And I'm curious if there's something else that you want to make sure that our listeners understand about MTA and, and what's happening there before we finish up. Yeah, I just wanted to maybe kind of just highlight to the, the folks out there, you know, that through the MTA Foundation, we do have uh, scholarship applications now open. You know, so we're hoping to award about 75000 in scholarships this year. So that's out there now for people to check out. And, you know, we're trying to, you know, I think focus more of those scholarships, too, in the, in the tech arena. I think there's a lot of, you know, trade-type needs, trade-job needs out there. So definitely kind of pay attention to that. I think that also wanted to, to point out, you know, our whole esports you know, program that we do. You know, we, we continue to sponsor, you know, one of the largest gaming type activities in the state. And we're, we're pretty proud of that just from the, the connectivity to the community and to that, that group that we're doing. So again, it's another form of outreach that we're doing into sectors of the economy that I think are growing a lot going into the future. So 
you know, we're, we're continuing to expand, I think, our presence and our, our relationship with various groups within the community. And I would be remiss if I did not also add, before we finish, a question having to do with outages. Mm-hmm. We've had some interesting times a year ago and most recently a month or so where, where we've had some utility outages. If someone is noticing an outage, what's their best approach to let MTA know? And, and what is MTA doing? How do they, how, how do you provide information to the co-op members at large? You know, I mean, definitely, if you are experiencing any kind of problem, you know, reach out to MTA and, and let us know. I mean, sometimes an outage can be just, you know, an individual person having some sort of a technical difficulty within their home. Sometimes it could be community related. I mean, a lot of our outages, frankly, happen because power goes out. Right. You know, and also sometimes, too, we have outages that aren't really associated with our network, but because, you know, we're connecting out to the world, it's somewhere downstream that somebody else has a has a problem and then it flows across to us. So, you know, we we're constantly working to improve the, the reliability of our network. And, you know, part of it is, you know, that redundancy of connectivity out to the, the World Wide Web that we're creating. I mean, I would say that, you know, looking at the state of the network today compared to probably where we were five to seven years ago, I think we're much more reliable than we used to be. And I think we're continuing to make progress on that. I mean, our goal here is to have four to five nines of reliability, you know, 99.99%, you know, always up and and working. So we're always striving to try to to achieve that goal. But the network's complicated and, you know, there's all kinds of technology out there and as everybody who's had to deal with technology realizes sometimes there are glitches or things, you know, a card or something like that goes bad and, you know, we have to then, you know, go replace and unfortunately it, it does cause an outage. Okay. There's there's one other feature that many listeners remember that there would be power outages and things would happen, but the phone system would still work. The old analog plain old telephone service would would work. But if you have fiber, there's an interesting, I I think I saw a note from MTA regarding uh, perhaps obtaining a little focused UPS unit that is is going to handle maintaining that fiber connection should the power go out. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a good question and that's a very good point. You know, back when the when you just had the copper network, you know, we actually did provide power through that copper line, you know, to like if you had a, a hardwired landline phone in your home so that if you know if there was a power outage, you know, obviously you could pick up the phone and there would still be phone connectivity. You know, with fiber you can't run electricity through that glass. So that is one disadvantage of fiber is that if you're all fiber, then if the power goes out, you know, unless you have some sort of backup power supply, you know, which we do have that, you know, what we, when we do those installations for fiber, we do kind of put you know, like a battery backup there. But over time, you know, you do have to replace those batteries. Gotcha. You know, it's like, like any kind of, you know, like a smoke detector or anything else, you know, the battery eventually goes bad. So that is a good reminder for people to, to remember that periodically those batteries have to be replaced. And we try to re- remind our, our fiber customers of that. And uh, we were reminded. (laughs) Michael Burke, thank you very much for taking the time to cover all things MTA here. And stay well out there. Thanks. You you do as well. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Valley Edition, a weekly panel discussion on current issues in the Matsu Valley, moderated by Mike Malewski. 
Valley Edition is a production of Radio Free Palmer, recorded at our studios in Palmer, Alaska. The views and opinions of hosts or guests do not necessarily represent those of Radio Free Palmer, this station, or its underwriters. If you have any comments or questions about this program, email manager at radiofreepalmer.org.